You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So, if you've got your Bible with you, First uh, Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And while you are turning there, I want to remind you of the fact that Pastor Jeremy, Michael Burgess, Shayla Hale, and Alan Hale um, are still on mission this week in Kenya. God is doing some really, really cool things across the world, and it's really awesome that we as a, a church body get to be a part of those things. And so just continue being in prayer for them as they are um, working into their second week of ministry here. Um, but it's an honor to be with you this morning in here. Uh, if you've got your Bibles again, First Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, Before we jump into that, uh, I want to tell you that my wife and I um, have uh, a new place to live. Uh, We moved into a new house this last spring, and our house sits uh, in a a neighborhood at the bottom of a hill, and so there are three nearly congruent streets that all travel in and out of the neighborhood, and so those are the only ways in, those are the only ways out, and you will see right there, there's one of the streets that's a Uh, an example of one of those streets that leads in and leads out. And what you won't necessarily recognize by the picture is that that is a pretty steep um, uphill climb there on that street. It goes up quite a ways. Well, the other day, it's been about a week or so now, I think. uh, The other day, um, Grayson, our five-year-old, who is hearing this, which is kind of weird because normally he doesn't, um, he wanted to go on a bike ride, okay? And so we, um, if you've got young kids, you know that a bike ride is a staple of, uh, of child development. It's a staple of raising kids. Um, bike rides, some of you are like, man, I'm really glad we're out of the bike ride stage. Those days, whoo, they were rough. Well, we were right smack dab in the middle of the bike ride days, and Gray wanted to go on a bike ride. And so we uh, got Peyton loaded up in her stroller, and uh, we got Grayson's bike out, got him equipped with his Spider-Man helmet, and he is ready to roll. Now, when we leave our driveway, um, we can choose one of the three congruent streets to go out of our neighborhood, but each and every one of those streets has something in common. They are steeply uphill. And so I told him as he was getting, as we're getting his bike out of the garage, I said, man, I, you've got to know, like, you've got to build a pedal because this is a steep uphill climb. And in typical Grayson, typical five-year-old fashion, he reminded me of what I had mistakenly forgotten, and that's the fact that he has huge muscles. So I forgot that he had huge muscles. I don't know why I was giving him a warning on uh, how steep and and treacherous the hill may be on a bicycle, Um, but I completely forgot he had huge muscles. And so he put me in my place and we were ready to ride. So Peyton and I have the stroller and we are on our way and we don't get 40 yards up this quarter mile hill before Grayson's confidence turned into agony. His confidence turned into burning legs. His confidence turned into really annoying whining. His confidence eventually turned into tears. He was suffering. Now, the only way for Gray to have an enjoyable bike ride was to make it to the top of that hill, and so there was no other way to go. Even if he chose a different street, he was still going to be heading steeply and sharply uphill. Now, what makes a steep climb so difficult is the resistance that the hill presents. Now, for every 
follower of Christ, the reality is this. If we are going to identify as family members of God in a world that is opposed to his purposes because of its sin sickness, we are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we are going to experience resistance each and every day that we hop out of bed, walk out our front doors and face the world. If we are going to follow Jesus faithfully, we are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we are going to suffer because this world is opposed to the message of Christ. If we're going to follow Jesus well, we're going to take his message outward. And if we're going to take his message outward, it is going to have to go against the incline of the world. And so Pastor Jeremy has been preaching through a church membership series over the last several weeks. And this is a part of that, but I want to make the distinction this morning that I am backing out. He's been talking a lot about um, some of the components of the individual believer. He's going to transition next week and talk more corporately. But this morning, I want to kind of take a bird's eye view at not necessarily who the church is, but a common experience that the church faces. And that common experience is suffering. Now, our two verses this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4 are going to be very simple. Um, today's goal is not to unpack some deep theological nugget that maybe you've never considered before that's going to require us to, to rack our brains and to, and to, and to grind over these, ta- over these two verses. Um, in fact, a lot of what I will tell you this morning and what Peter will show us from the Word of God is that um, he's going to be reminding us of something that we actually already know pretty well. As I've been talking about this inevitability of suffering for the church, you may already be thinking, yes, I've heard this a thousand times. I already know this. This isn't about unearthing something new this morning, church. It's about being reminded of what we already know is true. And my guess is that a a reminder that we are um, regular sufferers is probably going to benefit how we follow Christ from this day forward. So today is simple. Um, But sometimes it's the simple things that are hardest to apply. You'll see on the screen this morning, our main point, a faithful church faces an uphill climb. First Peter chapter four, verses 12 through 13, if you will stand with me as we read the word of God. First Peter chapter four, verses 12 and 13, Peter writes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Father, I pray that this morning these two simple verses will stand as solid reminders for us that we, as your followers, as ones devoted to your cause, are going to face an uphill climb each and every day as we try to um, assist um, in the work that you're doing here in this broken world. Um, Give us um, wisdom as we think about how we might become better sufferers for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, that's a very, you may be seated there. As I, uh, as I was saying, pretty simple, not too terribly complex. We are guaranteed to be um, experiencing regular suffering in a world that is opposed to our message. But if you aren't yet convinced by what those two verses tell us. I just want to remind you of a couple of things that we encounter in the Gospels as we're reading about the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. Remember that followers of Jesus, they are sent out as sheep amongst wolves. Remember that? 
Remember also that we have been commanded to do what? To enter through the narrow gate. Okay, remember there's a wide gate and it has an easy path and it leads to destruction, but the narrow gate leads to eternal life. But the path in which we follow to get to it is a treacherous one. We have to be ready to go down the treacherous path because eternal life is at the end of it. So if you don't believe Peter, at least believe Jesus. Now, if you have heard from your favorite book, from your favorite podcast, or from your favorite preacher, that suffering is not a regular component of the life of the church, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Burn the book, delete the podcast, and ignore that preacher from now on and hear me clearly this morning because the word of God says differently than what that book, that podcast, and that preacher are trying to tell us. Suffering is inevitable as long as we are on earth taking the message of Christ outward. So to contextualize our very short passage this morning, I want to say that Peter's words um, from this letter would have landed on ears in which uh, they're pretty familiar with how um, this suffering works. And because they were followers of Jesus, they were experiencing some of these sufferings. They were experiencing the pushback of the world because of their uh, faith in Christ. Some of them were being slandered by people in public. Some were being disowned and dishonored by their own families. And not only that, but some people followed Jesus faithfully and what was given to them in return by, uh, by, the, by the onward watching public was harsh persecution, physical persecution, imprisonment, and even to the point of martyrdom. If you read the book of Acts, you will see there are several instances just in that uh, recording of the early church's history. People who faithfully follow Jesus are at risk to suffer great consequences because of it. Now, I know a thing or two about myself, and there may be a few of us in this room who might be able to identify with this as well. Uh, we may not want to admit this publicly, but I'm going to go ahead and do it to set an example for you. Um, I am a, uh, I stink at suffering. There, I said, you know, it's liberating to say. Sometimes just hold that in. I stink at suffering. I am a really bad sufferer. I love comfort. I despise pain. My tolerance for pain is really, really low. And maybe you're like me in this way, but you just haven't had a microphone on your head to say it in front of everybody. But if you're unsure, if you're thinking, well, am I a bad sufferer? Am, am I a stinky sufferer like Pastor Nick says he is? If you're wondering, I'm going to take a page out of uh, Jeff Foxworthy's book, and we're going to determine um, if you are a stinky sufferer by some criteria. So you might be a stinky sufferer if... Your car, truck, or SUV is equipped with heated and cooled steering wheel and back massagers in the seat. If that's you, you might be a stinky sufferer. If you've avoided the doctor, the dentist, the therapist for weeks, months, or years strictly because you were afraid of what might happen when you get there, you might be a stinky sufferer. If you immediately began a Bible study through Lamentations yesterday after seeing how long the line was at Starbucks, you might be a stinky sufferer. And lastly, you might be a stinky sufferer if you are a owner of a Snuggie, the blanket with sleeves. 
I did the sleeves inside out from the first service and didn't clean up after myself. I'm really hot already. I'm not going to put it on. It's there. I won't tell you who donated that as a sermon object lesson today, but they're right back there and they're all pointing at her. So thank you, Vaughn family. Really appreciate that. All right. Now let's just assume that we could all be better at suffering for the sake of Christ. In light of that, what advice might Peter have to give us to equip us to deal with hardship better and more faithfully? Since the faithful church faces an uphill climb, how might he help us to strengthen our suffering skill set? Two points of advice this morning from Peter. The first one is this, anticipate the ascent. So by the time the uphill climb of life presents itself, there is a high likelihood that it is far too late to get prepared for it. And so we ought to be doing that well in advance. Listen, uh, Grayson had, had gotten on his bike, gotten on his helmet. He was ready to roll. And it wasn't but a few turns of the pedals before that hill was smack dab right in front of him. And my guess is the next time we go on a bike ride, there's a high likelihood that the same result is going to take place because not once have I seen him in his room doing air squats or one-legged wall sits or anything to strengthen his legs. He is going to experience the same outcome because there is no preparation being done. If we are going to be better at suffering for the church, we have to do something differently to prepare for it. And the first step in that is knowing full well that it is coming. We cannot let times of suffering sneak up on us. Peter writes this. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes Upon you. Now we know from chapter 1, verse 1, that this letter was written to a group of Christians who were called exiles. They were members of the dispersion, they had been scattered out due to persecution. But he also gives them another title that's really, really important. He calls them elect which means that they are chosen. Who are they chosen by? They're chosen by God. And so these people, they are the church. They are the family of God because each of them who have been born again, who have received the gift of grace, who have become new creations in Christ, they have that in common. And by having that in common, they are considered family. They have been chosen by God. Peter recognizes that they are family and he calls them beloved because they are precious to him. They are special to him. But not only that, we have to keep in mind this morning, church, that Peter is a pastor. He's a pastor. These are his sheep. He loves the church. Now, here's what I would like to say to you this morning. Your pastors and staff here at Ridgecrest, we love the church. We are here for you. We would consider you beloved in the same way that Peter thinks the church, the dispersion, the exiles, the elect are beloved. Why is that significant? He is desperate for them to heed to the words of advice that come after the word beloved. And so my heart ought to be the same as Peter's in that sense. My hope is that you will receive the advice that Peter gives, that the word of God provides us, and that you might apply it to become a more resilient, more confident, more joyful follower of Jesus, somebody who will make a bigger difference for his kingdom. But then he says this. He says, do not be 
surprised. Now, if an uphill climb is a guarantee for each and every Christ follower, that ascent, that struggle to remain faithful despite the pushback of persecution, it ought to be expected and anticipated. And Peter calls that uphill climb that every Christian faces, he calls it a fiery trial. Now, he's not using this language to be poetic. He's not trying to to sound refined. He's using this language not to be poetic, but to be purposeful. The first thing uh, about that phrase, fiery trial, let's think about it. Um, he's describing persecution that hurts. It hurts to be push, pushed back against. He wouldn't call it a trial at all if it wasn't one, right? He would be describing something not as fiery, not as a trial, but something that is soft and fluffy and comfy, kind of like a Snuggie. Kind of be the same as that, but he doesn't. He says it's fiery. He says it's a trial. Now we look at that word fiery. It's descriptive of the grander purpose of Christian suffering. If you've ever been uh, being put through the ringer as a follower of Christ and you're asking yourself, what is the point of this suffering? This word fiery helps us determine an answer to that question. The grander purpose of suffering is purification. We think, about, we think about how metal is purified, how gold is purified, and it's not purified through a, 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 a drop of cool water. It's not purified by, by rest. It's purified by fire. It has to go through a rigorous and strenuous process to be purified, but the outcome is positive. The outcome is good. Are we as a church open and willing to be purified by a fiery trial, knowing that the end result is something stronger, it's something better, it's something good, it's positive. Too often, you and I um, maybe respond to suffering not with that mindset, but instead the mindset that we are victims. We play the role of victim. We play the role of being the recipient of some heinous injustice when suffering comes our way. Now, the purpose is clearly defined in Scripture, and purification is the method or is the result of Christian suffering. Our purpose, or I'm sorry, our perspective should be shifted to where we're not seeing ourselves necessarily as victims, but instead we are seeing each and every time of suffering as an opportunity to become more purified for the glory of God. In fact, based on the truth of the gospel, we, we aren't victims at all. We are the cause of the necessity of salvation. We're not victims. In fact, based on the work, the finished work of Jesus, we're victors, right? We are, we are recipients of the trophy. What is that? The trophy is, is being able to pursue holiness as Pastor Jeremy has taught us. The, the trophy is being closer with Jesus. We have a, an intimate relationship, the opportunity to be close to our Savior and our King. That is the reward for being a part of God's church. And not only that, as we continue to suffer, we become more resilient as we do it. Now, perhaps the reason we stink at suffering sometimes is because we're anticipating something different than a fiery trial's worth of testing and purification. It's kind of like whenever you take that first bite into a hot pocket. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Y'all don't eat those anymore? Okay, thank you. Resume, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, so Resume and I know about these Hot Pockets. So you do everything right, Resume. You look at the back of the box, okay? And you put that in the little weird sleeve that it comes with for some reason, and you microwave those things to the exact specifications of what is written on the back of the box, and you take that thing out, and your expectation is this is going to be perfectly heated, and it's going to be delicious, why wouldn't you expect that? You followed the directions and it comes from the frozen food aisles. That's everything that you need for a good, solid, healthy meal. And if you've ever, if you're lying to me this morning with your silence and telling me that you've never had a Hot Pocket before, uh, let me tell you, if you ever decide to try it, you're going to take that first bite and you're going to be expecting delicious. You're going to be expecting good. You're going to be expecting proper heating. One of two things will happen. That first bite will be frozen solid and you will have a block of pepperoni and mozzarella cheese in your mouth and you won't know what to do with it except spit it in the trash. Or outcome number two, you will experience third degree burns inside of your mouth. And then if you're feeling brave enough to take another bite, you're going to expect that bite to be better. And then the opposite's going to happen. If the first time it was frozen, then the third degree burns come. If it's hot the first time, then it's going to be frozen the next time. Hot pockets are dirty tricksters. They're not to be trusted. But in the same way, how many times do we walk out of our houses as followers of Christ knowing this truth that suffering is inevitable, that it is a component of the Christian life, and we walk out with an expectation that for some reason today is going to be different. There is going to be ease and comfort and happiness and unicorns today. How often do we have our minds in the wrong place expecting something that the world is guaranteed not to give us back so maybe our approach to Christian suffering ought to be our approach to eating a Hot Pocket. Maybe we ought to be expecting discomfort. Maybe we ought to be expecting struggle. Maybe we ought to be expecting pain. But a lot of times we expect comfort and ease instead. I love this well-known quote from Martin Luther. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, They gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? If Jesus suffered greatly on this earth, what makes us think that we won't? We become successful sufferers when we expect it, and it shouldn't catch us by surprise. Remember, surprises are few and far between. Those are happenings that are infrequent. And so by definition, the sufferings that we face in life against a world that doesn't like our message, doesn't like our purpose, and quite frankly, doesn't like our God, we ought to expect the norm that's outlined in Scripture and not treat it as a surprise. So be ready for it instead of being surprised by it. That's a primary theme of the book, is to remind the church that we, in a sense, don't belong here. We are pilgrims, we are sojourners, we are strangers, passers-by, and while we are passing through, we're going to be treated like outsiders until we are delivered into our home, into glory, into eternity. So we ought to expect the ascent. 
Advice point number two from Peter, we ought to trade sorrow for satisfaction. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. One thing, it's one thing, listen, to anticipate suffering, okay? It's another thing to be glad because of it, to have joy because of it. It's one of the most countercultural things that we can do as followers of Christ, is to be joyful in our suffering. That is something that the world will see and notice immediately because it is different than how everybody else handles hardship, how everybody else handles trial. If we do so by responding to it with joy, we will be set up perfectly to testify to how it is that we can be joyful despite our suffering. Do we have any type A folks in here? Any like real type A organized folks? Yeah, yeah, I don't identify with any of you all. <laughs> we got people pointing at other people in here. Yeah, I, I, I don't identify with that at all. In fact, I would consider your lifestyle to be a lifestyle of regular suffering. Here's how, here's how I think that. Because whatever you are, I'm the opposite of, and I don't mean any offense by that. What you are, I am the opposite of. But how, I ask myself, how can a type A person be so joyful in how they plan stuff? I mean, it's a lot of work, it's never ending, it's really tedious, it requires a lot of attention. But the point of a planner is being able to have joy that the ultimate payoff of having a schedule that's organized is uh, you, 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 can, you can enjoy the fact that you're going to be on time. You can enjoy the fact that you're going to have your um, ducks in a row, so to speak. You're going to enjoy the fact that you can be um, not only on time, but you can be ready for everything that's coming up on your calendar. Yes, it takes a lot of work to have a planner ready, to have a schedule set, to have a calendar filled out. If anybody knows that, it's, it's the pastors and staff here at Ridgecrest. Putting together a calendar is a really difficult thing, but the payoff is you know where you need to be, you, need, you know what you need to be doing, and you are ready for anything that comes your way. Type A folks get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. When deadlines are met, their daily missions are accomplished, but so often we're told to live in the moment. But having our attention drawn to the future is actually an important thing, which uh, our type A folks often tell us um, through their lifestyle. Listen, part of what Peter is encouraging the church to do is to look far beyond the present to look at eternity, to look at that hope of restoration that is promised for us. We have that to look forward to, and since it is so good, we ought to be longing for it to come. And while we're suffering, there's nothing sweeter than knowing that Jesus is ultimately going to make all things new. And so how do I know if I'm doing that right? How do I know if I am uh, suffering with the right mindset? How do I know if I'm looking towards the right things as I climb the hill of pushback against the world. Listen to the response of the apostles in Acts chapter 5 who were persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Now, upon being beaten and told to never speak of Jesus publicly again, here's what happened next. Acts 5.41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and every day... In the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. If you suffer for Jesus as joyfully and as steadfastly as these guys, there's a good chance that you are on the right track. Now look at verse 13 in 1 Peter 4 for me for just one second. He says this. It's really important. He says, insofar, rejoice insofar, rather, as you share Christ's 
sufferings. Now, we talk a lot about being Christ-like at church. We talk about um, being Christian. That's what Christian is, little Christ, imitator of Christ, follower of Jesus. That ought to be an important factor of how we conduct ourselves each and every day, right? But so often, we, we, we limit Christ-likeness to things like just being nice to people around us or smiling when we come in the building or making sure that if something bad happens to us, um, let's say out in public, let's say somebody cuts us off in traffic, that we're going to be okay. Um, let's make sure that we are going to tip well on Sunday mornings, um, or I'm sorry, Sunday afternoons, because definitely like people are going to notice that our fancy clothes are going to tell people that we're Christians, so we have to tip a little bit extra, even though we really don't want to. We have to be ready to be Christ-like in those types of ways. We strive for that. We pray for that. We want to reflect him on those terms. But how often are we striving for Christ-likeness, not in, just in those things, but by modeling how he suffered? Let's think about the sufferings experienced by Jesus during his earthly life and ministry. He was abused verbally and physically. He was mocked, spat on. He was tortured. He was falsely accused of a crime punishable by death. He was abandoned or denied by some of his closest friends. He was devalued. He was dejected. He was demoralized. And despite all of that, he did all the right things. How? Number one, he's God. Number two, I believe that Jesus had a, a, a supernatural focus on the outcome of his suffering. He saw people like you and me. He saw people like his accusers. He saw sinners left and right and saw that they were beloved to him and they were worthy of his sacrifice. They were worthy of his suffering. He wanted to save sinners. And when he set out to do so, he knew that he was going to be experiencing a very difficult season. But wow, was it worth it. We are recipients of that gift. We are recipients of something greater than what we can achieve, and that is salvation. You and I, we are freely offered. And I want to make it very clear this morning as we um, get ready to wrap up that we have been offered an invitation we have been offered an invitation to be a part of the family of God. I want to make it very clear that it does not matter where you come from. It does not matter what's been said about you. It does not matter what you have said about yourself. It does not matter how broken you've been. It doesn't matter if you don't look like the rest of us. You are invited into the family of God by receiving Christ's gift of grace, trusting in him in faith and allowing him to forgive you of your sins. Now, in just a minute, our pastors are gonna be down front and we would love to have a conversation with you about what it might look like for you to take that step of faith and follow Jesus, receiving salvation, receiving that gift. Now, as we prepare to respond, I wanna make sure that we are thinking through how we can apply this text moving forward. We know it's true, we understand its simplicity, but at the same time, what do I do with it? And so I've fashioned some um, self-coined rules for the church when the going gets steep that I hope you will remember and apply as you leave today. Rule number one is this. Never make the climb alone. 
Never make the climb alone. I've talked about um, Grayson's ascent of the hill leading out of our neighborhood, and I've talked about Peyton in the stroller, and I've talked about his Spider-Man helmet, but here's what I didn't tell you. The entire way up, Grayson's mom was right by his side. Through the suffering, through the tears, through the burning legs, she was right there to encourage him, to hold him accountable, to continue to urge him up that hill. He would have never made it 15 feet up that hill had she not been there to spur him on. Church, part of our responsibility is to do the same for our brother and sister in Christ. I want you to look to your left and I want you to look to your right and you are going to see somebody who will inevitably suffer for the name of Jesus at some point in life. Now, how often do we conceal our suffering because we assume, we make the false assumption that we're the only ones that are going through something. We're the only ones that are climbing the hill. How often do we shut down and pretend like we've got it all put together, but instead, what might it look like for our church, our local body, to recognize that suffering is commonplace, it's the rule, not the exception, and what might it look like to support one another a little differently in spite of that? Maybe there's a couple of steps you want to take to make uh, to, to become a, a, a tighter-knit member of our family here, whether that be salvation, whether that be joining a small group or a life group. Maybe that be um, membership in general. Maybe you've been um, kind of hiding in your faith. You've, you've made a, a declaration of faith to Jesus. You are following him, but you haven't really told anybody. Um, you saw a couple of great testimonies this morning through the ordinance of baptism. Maybe that is your next step in faith. Whatever it is, I would challenge you and encourage you to talk to one of our pastors today. Rule number two, always ascend with an eye on eternity. We can always suffer better if we know how great the reward is. Um, Grayson apparently has been in like a fitness kick recently. Uh, he told his mom the other day that he wants to run a 5K. And so the other day I took him out um, to, to try a mile just to see how that would go. Um, and it turns out it went pretty well, but he suffered through that too. And so he's had a couple of like physical challenges recently that have been hard for him. Um, he suffered through that challenge. But it's funny, I, the plan was to run the mile, but then afterwards right across the way on, at Chesterfield Park, there's, a, there's the half mile loop and then there's a playground. And I told Gray, if he would complete that mile, we would go play on the playground. And so I believe that was his motivator from start to finish, was being able to play. I wonder how much better at suffering, how much more resilient we'd be, how much more endurance we would have if our eyes were fixed more regularly on the ultimate reward, not of a playground, but of a perfect place called heaven that Jesus has held for us. I wonder how much better we would suffer for him in the here and the now. If you are uh, considering that and you're like, man, I can't remember the last time that I really thought about eternity, maybe this morning is a good opportunity for you to just stop and to pray and to ask God to show you how sweet heaven really is, how awesome his return will be. And perhaps he will equip you with more endurance to suffer for him in the meantime. Rule number three, lastly, remember that you are always being watched. We've all heard it from Pastor Jeremy, there is work to be done. Now remember, one of the greatest ways that we stand out in a lost world is when we have joy in our sufferings. Now you pair that joy in your suffering with the message of the gospel, and for the person who is on the outside looking in, it all makes sense. My hope is this morning as you think about um, how you might be a better witness out in a world that is going to push back against you, that you would 
pair your suffering with joy and you would add Christ's message and there is no hypocrisy to be found there. And so this morning, as you're thinking about your witness, maybe there's an opportunity today um, before you leave this room to ask God to give you more credibility in your witness by giving you more joy in your suffering. A faithful church faces an uphill climb no matter what. That's a guarantee. And so however God is at work today, however he is moving in your heart to become more like him and to, to be more ready to suffer for him, respond as God's leading. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.